Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Cocktails and Spirits. This is Alfonso, also known as Fons. With me, like always, is Eric. What's up, Eric? How are we doing today? Hey, man. We're doing great. Doing great. You know, uh, ready for another great episode. Today with us, we have Brandon Cummins, Director of Education for Altamar Brands, who is importing Lagrimas del Valle. Brandon, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, Brandon. Thanks for uh, joining us. I'm very excited to talk to you. Um, it was very exciting to finally get uh, my hands on Lagrimas del Valle. I also yes. know, Eric, I, w- I went to the tasting that you guys had set up at Defin Company. We had a little bit of the El Chiqueño, mm-hmm. and I shared that with Eric, and I know he enjoyed it as well. Um, it's safe to say you guys have had a great launch, and we just really want to hear about the project of Lagrimas del Valle and how that became. Awesome. So I got to give you a little bit of backstory. And so Altamar Brands, uh, you know, we, we're predominantly we're an importer and a distributor of, of a number of boutique spirits, right? And we've been in the realm of super premium tequila for quite some time. Um, back mm-hmm. in 2007, 2008, we were the original importer for Cor- Coralejo Tequila. Um, and then that was acquired. And then over time, we were the original importer for Tequila Ocho. Um, and so our founder who is W.L. Lyons-Brown III, uh, or as we all like to call him, L.B. Um, L.B., you know, actually got to be, he was down in uh, Arandas working with Carlos Camarena, working with Tomas Estes, um, you know, on the early days when Ocho was first being born. And so I was attracted to Altamar because of Ocho. Um, and, you know, at that point, I had been working with the Tequila Interchange Project and trying to do some uh, education and helping build out some websites and helping educate bartenders around the U.S. about kind of agave spirits and, you know, sustainable production for them, not just sustainability and like environmental sustainability, but also sustainability and talking about like indigenous Mesoamerican culture and the impacts of the agave, um, you know, and what it is today and trying to preserve at least a a large portion of that history. Um, So I was attracted to Ultimar because of Ocho. um, And over time, uh, I kept having bartenders asking me for like, oh man, well, like Ocho's phenomenal. Can we get a, a different tequila or, you know, something else that's more cocktail friendly? And so we developed another tequila called El Velo. Um, and at the time we were trying to develop it so that it could stand next to Ocho in the portfolio without really competing with mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. since Ocho was all about terroir and Ocho was always from Carlos's estates up in the highlands, you know, we were like, well, let's go entirely to the valley. Um, you know, and this is around the same time that, uh, Cascoin Tahona and Cascoin, like the Plata 48, were starting to come out. Um, mm. And we weren't able to develop El Velo with Cascoin because of the scale and the price point and what we needed it to be. Because again, the whole goal was for cocktailing. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, and then a couple of years after that, um, Ocho was acquired. And, you know, uh, it, sadly, it's like saying, <laughs> it's like saying goodbye to a girlfriend <laughs> that you've been dating for like eight, nine years. You know, and it's like, oh man, like that was that was so much of my my personal history. Um, so seeing it go away, it was kind of sad. But you know, shortly yeah. thereafter, uh, LB reached out to me, and he was just like, "Hey, man," he's like, "If you could work with anyone in tequila right now, who would it be?" Um, and I mean, without hesitation, you know, within a second, I was like, "Cascoline, for sure." Yeah. If I could work with anyone, you know, no st- no no holds barred, right? Like anybody out there. <laughs> um, and so he's like, "Well, did you reach out to him?" I was like, what do you mean? Did I reach out to him? Like, no, <laughs> like, why, why would I reach out to them? Right. Like we've got enough other stuff going on. And he was like, well, just, you know, reach out to them. So at that point I was a huge fanboy of their stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, had, I, had, I got to taste the Tahona and the plot 48 down at, uh, 
oh shoot, Lakata in Tequila Town uh, with Clayton Check. If you guys know that, know him from Experience Tequila and Experience uh, Mezcal. But he was still behind the bar, and like one of the first sips I had of it, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is phenomenal. Um, but that was as close a contact as I had to uh, Chava or anyone at, at Cascoin. So I, I sent Chava a DM on Instagram. <laughs> it was just kind of like, Hey man, um, <clears throat> here's my background. Here's what we've done. W- would you ever be open to, you know, discussing a project um, or working on something? Because frankly, I think you guys are amazing and I- I'd love just the opportunity to work with you. Um, he said, sure. When, when can you, when can you come down to Guadalajara? Um, so it was a week later, you know, and I was on a flight <laughs> and having dinner with Chava and we kind of kicked around the idea of like, you know, it, it's not it's not if someone else is really going to deeply explore terroir uh, like Ocho had, it's when. And so mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, it's like how, so if we were to do it, how do we do it in a way where it's different enough from Ocho, it still pays respects uh, to, you know, what Tomas and Carlos developed there. Um, but how can we explore it in a different capacity? Um, and so that was kind of the birth of Lagrimas del Valle, right? And from there, the discussion then turned very practically into what are the production methodologies so that we can have big agave character and really still like keeping it uh, as it, 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 like trying to showcase as as much of the uniqueness of terroir as possible, right? Because since 2008, when Ocho first launched, production production has changed substantially, right? There's there's mm-hmm. lots more things are, oh, yeah. are being explored. And I mean, like, you know, and you look at Cascoin and like just the amount of options they have, whether you want to ferment in concrete or you want to ferment in stainless yeah. steel mm-hmm. or an open air wood with Bagasso, without Bagasso. Um, so it was kind of like set. we, set, we sat down together and Chava had prepared, uh, if I recall, I think it was 14 different samples. Um, and the 14 different samples were representative of different production approaches um, and different blends of them. So, you know, is it, we, end, we ended up, we, we wound up at 70% roller mill crushed agave fermented in open air stainless steel and 30% uh, Tahona crushed agave fermented in open air wood with Bagasso, right? Damn, that's cool. Right. That's really but it's cool. like, he was, he was tasting us on all these different breakdowns of like, okay, well, here is. You know, here's a roller mill fermented in concrete versus roller mill fermented in uh, stainless and then blended together in different proportions. And so at the end of that, we wound up with you know, what is ultimately the production process. Um, and so essentially the only change between each of the releases is going to be the rancho, right? So everything about production will be identical. The proof point will be identical. The only difference will be where the agaves were coming from. So in, in hopes of really you know, showcasing terroir. Yeah. One of the cool things that you guys are doing that um, a lot of tequila aficionados are really enjoying is that AVV percentage, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. How did you guys land at 46 and was that the initial intention or how did you, how did that go about? <laughs> well, so from part of the development of El Velo, one of the things that I noticed and that I thought was really curious, we blinded El Velo at 11 different proof points. Um, just to see, you know, how it, how it kind of changed as far as like, you know, character of the agave, ethanol, et cetera. Um, and then we tested El Velo in five different cocktails because the whole concept, again, was cocktails, mm, nice. right? So it's like, it's not just about like, what's the best flavor profile for neat spirit, but like, what was the best in cocktail? And so from that experience, it's like, well, if we're going to do 
Lagrimas, we need to give it the exact same kind of respect, right? So we tasted it at everything from 40% all the way up to 55, right? To essentially still strength. Um, and we blinded it. We narrowed it down on three favorites and we kind of zeroed in on this like range between 46%, 47%, and 48%, um, which, you know, seems like it'd be minimal, um, only one percentage point of, of uh, difference there with water, but uh, the flavor was pretty substantial. So I came back with three prepared samples um, and conducted blind tasting studies with bartenders and sommeliers uh, and spirits experts around the U.S. And then Chava kept the same three samples in Mexico and did the same with bartenders, tequila aficionados, you name it. Um, and then we compiled all of our results, and that's how we got to 46%. And so it's kind of like, okay, let's let's establish this as a brand standard. So we are going to bottle at 46%. So again, the only variable is going to be where the agaves were coming from. And by the way, we also tasted the differences between deep well water versus mm, rain water. You know, so oh, it's okay. like we we really got we really got deep and nerdy in it. Um, which you know as <laughs> so the yeah. was like one of the coolest things ever. Yeah. Um, but for yeah. me, for, for, a, a, a bottle, uh, that was meant for a, a cocktail. I, I think you guys way well went above and beyond for sure. Well, El Belo was, was really intended for cocktailing. Um, Lagrimas was intended more for like, let's really try and showcase the best character of agave we can get. Um, so we did not, we did not test, Lagrimas in cocktail, whereas we mm. did test El Belo in cocktail because again, different different kind of purpose, different intention. Gotcha. Now those three samples that you had, can you recall the a, the percentage in them or what those differences were? Was everything the same on those samples except the ABV, or were the other the whole production uh, for those three samples all different? Everything was identical, so the only difference was proof. Right. So if if we're looking at it like a, a scientific study, right, you're, you're controlling everything and then you're only experimenting on one variable. And so the variable here was proof. And so everything was identical except for the proof point that we were tasting at. And I will say there were, there were several uh, what I would consider highly educated and very well educated palates uh, here in the U.S. that I was tasting with. And they could have sworn I brought in three different tequilas. Uh, I had really? some people saying like, oh man, these are so different. Like what are, what are the production differences? You know? And it's like, no, 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 these are exactly the same. The only difference is a single proof point of water. You know, and it's just one of those wow. like, whoa, like I had no idea this was going to be this impactful. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just, just a cool experience all around. Um, and clearly, you know, we're, we're pretty happy with the results. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Before we get into like the, like the, you know the reposado and all that. How did um the name come about? I know there's a pretty neat story to the, you know the the brand logo, the name. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'd like to really hear about it. Well, so the name Lagrimas del Valle, right? So Tears of the Valley, was really trying to pay homage to like the classic, um, you know, like the Norteños and like the classic like love songs. Um, and I, there's I can't remember the term for them, but there's like the classic sad love songs uh, that you know are are prevalent throughout a lot of, you know, Mesoamerican culture. Um, and so we kind of discussed this idea of like these, these happy, sad moments, right? And here's the agave that's like sitting out in the field for all these years, soaking up all the sunlight. And then, you know, at the end of its, at the end of its life, it's, it's, you know, turned into something beyond that, which is of course tequila um, in this instance. So, 
you know, it was also then representative, like the idea of the spirit being distilled and the tears falling from the still itself. And so the tears are essentially, you know, the embodiment of the agave in, in its, you know, in its final resting place. So kind of evokes again, like that very kind of happy, sad, uh, kind of traditional love song. That's really cool. And then I know the, um, the logo, that's kind of like a hill that represents the actual, is it the field I think or so yeah so essentially the the logo on the front of the bottle everybody always asks me they're like oh so is that like a UFO yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's like no um so it's a guachimonton um and the guachimonton are actually uh UNESCO heritage sites uh or the original guachimontones are located near Tulchitlan um and they are considered a UNESCO heritage site but essentially they were uh, not burial pyramids, but they are some of the world's only circular circular pyramids. Uh, the burials themselves for the royalty were basically around the outside of this pyramid. And then classically dancing dances would happen in ceremony around holidays, etc. Um, so this is, you know, very unique and indigenous to the, the region in general, because it's only about an hour away from uh, the distillery in El Arenal. Um, but when we were down there and we were visiting some of the actual uh, fields, um, one of Cascoween's fields is actually planted very similar to a Guachimontones. Uh, so where the, the agaves are planted in, you know, kind of concentric rings leading up to a, a general like altar at the top. And that little altar area is kind of constructed with some rocks, um, I believe, from the original Guachimontone in Tulchilan. Um, but so interesting, you know, just that they kind of planted this field in that respect. And when I was talking with Chava, they were, you know, I was like, oh, so like one day will you harvest these agaves? And they're like, oh, you know, maybe one day, but the goal is to just keep planting them here and to maintain it um, because it's just paying respects to the, you know, the cultural heritage of the Guachimonton in the area. Um, and that was just such a cool, cool background. We were like, yeah. well, is there a way we could integrate this into, you know, the label and just kind of like, you know, it's it's important to the area and it kind of speaks to the whole, like, you know, the tears and like remembrances of like, you know, people beyond kind of so. That's without trying to get too like philosophical and marketing speak fluffy <laughs> on it. So now that's pretty neat, that's and great. I mean it looks great on the bottle. I mean the the bottle looks yeah. great, and you guys are the label. I mean I feel like you guys are going above and beyond with all the information you guys are adding, including the the ranch location, which we could touch on the ranch, um, Rancho Unico, uh, mm-hmm. in a second, the elevation, average agave bricks. I think all that is pretty awesome. Um, I mean you guys even add the like for example, the it says that 2022 Palo Verde Plata showcases rich agave character, and then it just goes on to some notes. So that that's pretty cool. I imagine all that is intentional, and but you guys have to know it's pretty different than what other brands are doing, right? Sure. Yeah. And I mean, and again, it's kind of like if you look at wine and you look at the way that wine really like developed single vineyard wines, and you know, you look at a lot of the culture in Burgundy and Bordeaux and you know, these these iconic wine regions. You know, they're very much about telling the story of the land from where the thing came, right? So it's kind of like if we can put that into each label and make it unique for each ranch, you know, the the major difference here, clearly single vineyard wines are prized and sought after, um, you know, but when you're dealing with agave, you're waiting, you know, six to seven to eight years uh, for that thing to come to, to, you know, maturity and then, and then it's done, right? So as a century plant, then it's just done. So it's kind of like, the, the land, in my opinion, um, you know, is almost more important to the agave um, than it is, you know, or as celebrated or as important to the agave as it is for wine. 
I agree. And that's one of the things that, for example, when you were mentioning, that's kind of like when you guys said it's not a matter of who or it's when someone is going to, you know, come in and do what Ocho's doing, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's pretty awesome. Now, I, I remember in the tasting we had, it was, uh, you guys had your, the bottle that's out right now, and it's uh, Rancho Nico Palo Verde, mm-hmm. which is the same for the Reposado, right? Correct. Yeah, so okay. every every rancho will produce a plata and a reposado. Um, and so for the first release was the Palo Verde. Um, the second rancho that's supposed to be bottled next week is El Chiqueño. And next week is middle July in case, you know, you guys can yeah. do this later. But yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, and the goal is every rancho will produce the plata and then the reposado. Um, and the reposado is only arrested for three months. And so it's it's a minimally aged, lightly aged reposado. And it's in extremely old, worn barrels. Um, because, again, the whole concept is trying to preserve terroir but allowing enough of the oak to kind of come through that it is a significantly different thing from just the plata. Um, so Palo Verde being the first, uh, those fields were near Amatitan. Um, and then, you know, we were looking at the average agave bricks in field was about 35%. Um, so pretty high sugar content, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then the elevation was right at about 1,250 meters, um, you know, because all those things will impact it. And, you know, interestingly, El Chiqueño, actually comes from a field like literally next to Palo Verde. So they are almost side by oh, side, but the El Chiqueño is slightly closer to the hillside. And this area is known as the Barrancas. Um, so there's these giant cliffs, um, you know, that create all these like unique little microclimates as well as there's, you know, interesting fruit interplantings. So when you think about wild yeasts and things that the agave is going to be absorbing from the soil or how it's going to absorb water and runoff and, you know, different things like that, uh, the uniqueness for terroir is going to be pretty substantial because of that. So um, El Chiqueño coming right next to it, um, you know, it those agaves ended up sitting at 32% bricks. But, you know, Fonz, I'll let you speak to it because from my record, yeah. you, you got to kind of taste both side by side at the tasting. So, I mean, what what was your what was your kind of takeaway? No, yeah. Well, I'm I'm not even going to lie. I remember when you said they were bo- um, different um, ranchos and they were side by side. I instantly thought, how different can they be? I, I just didn't think... <laughs> they could be very different, you know, and I know you mentioned, you know, how each one can vary, but literally tasting it side by side, it is an astronomical different difference. It is just like they, they, they're completely different. Uh, right now I'm having the El Chiqueño. Uh, so I, I haven't poured out the Palo Verde because it's a brand new bottle. And I don't I kind of I don't want to pop it open yet. Yeah. <laughs> but I from what I remember was Palo Verde was a little sweeter, mm-hmm. and, you know, at the mouthfeel. And the Chiqueño was a little bit, uh, you know, it had a little more of a brinier, earthy feel for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it was just, I, I remember I told Eric when I was talking to him about it, yep. I couldn't believe the differences between the fields. And you said they're right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that's pretty amazing. I just cannot believe it. And it speaks to exactly what you guys are trying to, you know, put out that each rancho is único. Mm-hmm. Completely. Well, and, and, you know, just to kind of explain, I know a lot of people have, they refer to this Lagrimas as still being a single estate tequila. Um, I, I try to avoid the term estate because from coming from the wine world, um, estate grown grapes are always those that are grown by the family themselves, right? And mm-hmm. so, whereas Ocho was always coming from the Camarena's fields, right? Those were single estates because those were the Camarena's estates, um, we are using Rancho Unico because these are not necessarily ranches that are owned by the Rosales family, 
And so these are all coming from, um, you know, Chava's father, who I joke, you know, like jokingly, we all call Chava senior. Um, but, uh, you know, he is, he's basically the one looking for these fields to try and find a, what are the best quality agave possible? And then B, what are going to showcase the most unique differences in terroir, right? So it's kind of like, it's intentional in really trying to not just find the very best agave, but trying to do it in a way that it is going to taste significantly different. So. No, uh, that do definitely. You guys have, Go ahead. Do, do you guys do, do you guys have uh, any say so as to uh, what you guys want to focus on, or do you leave that up to the family to decide for you? One hundred percent up to the family. Um, so much so that, for example, we've just finished distilling what will be the third rancho, um, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to drop the name yet because I still oh. have to confirm it all. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also, like, I need yeah. to work on my I need to work on my pronunciation, man, because I think Fonz, I think I told you this story, but you know, I was I kept calling it. La, lagrimas right and everyone still <laughs> was like no, no 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 man like your 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 white dude spanish is not working right now it's lagrimas lagrimas and so they kept correcting me so i'm not gonna delve into pronouncing the third ranch until i know that i'm gonna say it right um but it's it's closer to tulchitlan right so it's not okay. from amatitan it's going about an hour away from the distillery um and if i read the the record correctly because all the information we're pulling is basically from the crt certificates uh from the agaves um which you know they named the predio or the rancho and then they also named the average agave bricks etc and so like all of that information on the label is coming direct from the crt's records um oh. but if i if i <laughs> if there wasn't a typo uh, the agaves were 45% bricks so yeah which is just ludicrous um you know and and so not just the shift from amatitan to tuchitlan um but now we're looking at like that's a massive jump in in sugars yeah so really just curious to see what that winds up being but now going back to like what eric said when if you leave it up to to them to take care of it do they have any idea what that tequila will taste like based on you know all the information they gather or they just kind of wait and see what the fermentation the distillation the the cooking all that brings to it you know um i haven't had that expressive a conversation with the chavas um about it <laughs> um, yeah but you know from from having conversations with other tequileros right they, they've brought up that it is it's it's one of the biggest challenges in tequila is to actually create consistency, right? Mm-hmm. Is to create consistency from field to field, from agave to agave. Um, and so there's often, you know, that's why they're going to be pulling from multiple fields or multiple rows with the goal of trying to create some consistency. And so this approach philosophically is very different. And so when you look at which field is going to be harvested or which rancho is going to be harvested, you're trying to find one where the majority of the agaves in that field are all ripe instead of picking just a few rows at a time. And so philosophically, how they approach it is already a very different thing. Um, I don't know if they have specific ideas of how the flavors will be different. So I haven't talked to them about, you know, exactly what each field will impart to the the, the final spirit. But, mm-hmm. you know, having talked with other tequileros, like it's all about that blend. And it's all about like trying to pull agaves from different places to create consistency. Um, and so I think they know a bit, you know, obviously the, the, the land is different, um, where, how much shade it had was different. Um, the sugar content is going to be different. So I think they know it's going to be different, but I don't know that they know exactly how it's going to be different. 
Gotcha. And now does that, I mean, as a, a true tequila enthusiast and as a fan, that excites you because you know each Blanco is going to be different and you're just not buying the same Blanco over and over again, yeah, right? Exactly, but man. <laughs> as a as a brand, does that worry you a little or how did is it or is that the whole approach of taking it on as a, it's going to be different as opposed to like El Velo which is meant to be, you know, a little more I imagine a more consistent basis for the cocktails and all exactly. Of that. Yeah. El Bello. Yeah. It's the production protocols for El Bello do, you know, it's, we're trying to get something that is more consistent. And so, yes, as a brand, it is a little concerning because, you know, let's say, let's say we say, Oh man, like the demand right now for Lagrimas is so big. We need to up production. Right. So there's yeah. huge investments in glass and labels and cartons and caps and all the stuff that you know goes into it as well as we have you know we're we're helping purchase the agave up front like to make sure that we are getting as good of agave as possible um and so let's say we commit to it but then that rancho ends up being you know it's like uh i mean it wasn't as good you know yeah like it it, it can be that you know, it's kind of like an emotional roller coaster and then you're stuck with all this stuff but at the end of the day this is where the confidence in who Cascawin is, mm -hmm. is so yeah. important, right? Because I don't know that I've had any bad tequila that Cascawin has made. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's at true. the end of the day, I'm like, I mean, it's still some good Cascawin juice. So, you know. But also, I think that, you know, when you're talking about um, tequila enthusiasts, they, they kind of already expect that and they already kind of have um, um, that knowledge that not every uh, batch is going to be the same, right? I mean, it's like hunting down, you know, specific lots of, of Fortaleza or, mm -hmm. you know, if you're yeah, looking exactly. for, you know, I mean, like obviously the, everybody, we used to joke about being Ocho hunters, um, <laughs> back in the day. Cause it was like, oh man, if you can find, <laughs> you know, the 2010 Los Mangos, like everybody wanted 2010 Los Mangos, um, you know, and it's like, so there are certain ones that are just genuinely are like stick out from the pack, but you know, even the bad ones are still great. So, so yeah no that that makes a ton of sense now is there any plan in doing like okay so you guys got that production down i that which i think you said 70 percent roller mill 30 mm percent -hmm. was it open air wood fermented with the gave fibers yes and tahona so tahona and, crushed uh oh what was the the mix of that one so 70 percent um 70 percent roller mill fermented in stainless and 30 percent tahona uh, oh. fermented in open air wood with bagasso with fibers. Gotcha. Um, and those are, any... those are distilled separate too. So it's not like blended oh, cool. and then distilled. It's each goes to the still from the ferment fermenter. And then, you know, you blend after you've distilled it. Gotcha. Now I imagine there might be, is there plans on changing up that production per ranch as well? Or is that, you know, a little bit? No, ahead? we're, we're going to keep that exactly the same. So yeah, so it'll be a rancho to rancho, the big difference. Yes, that will that will be the only difference. So the proof point will remain the same, the water source will remain the same, um, and the blend, the 70-30 uh with the two different mostos is always is also gonna stay the same. Gotcha. And now is that reposado? I don't have it in front of me. I did I did try it, it, it mm -hmm. was amazing, but I don't remember the ABV. Was that right at the 46.2 or did it go up down a little it is, bit? Yeah, it's also at 46%. Um, and so the intention there, because we knew that we wanted to kind of establish 46% as the, the standard, um, for the Plata and the Reposado, we actually dilute slightly before we go into the barrel. Gotcha. Um, so we're actually going into barrel at about 48 or 49%, um, just because the, the higher dilution, 
when you have more water and less ethanol, uh, you get very different oak extractives from your barrels. And so since we are utilizing these 20, 20 some year old barrels, um, you know, we want, we want different oak character to be pulled out. We don't want it to just be kind of like your standard, um, you know, kind of strong vanilla. So there's, you get, you get a little bit more kind of round flavor, uh, that develops at that point. Gotcha. That makes sense. Now we, we do have to ask, is there a plan for Añejo? coming or is it just going to be Blanco Repo because we know Altamar Brands has some pretty good, uh, you know, barrels oh, that yeah. could be used for a uh, possible Añejo <laughs> or, or Extra Añejo. So right now we decided we are going to stick with just Plata and Episado for the next two to three years um, because for us, it's really important that we establish, you know, again, this concept of terroir. We have, we, you know, like getting out to Tuchitlan is, is going to be a big shift, right? And so we kind of want to celebrate the change in land more so than just barrel impact. Now, over time, we've discussed possible limited reposado releases. Um, I don't mm -hmm. see us doing an añejo or an extra añejo only because um, so much of this is about terroir and is about the land and not necessarily about the oak. And like you're saying, uh, we do have some awesome, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome uh, barrels at our disposal, you know, and I, and full disclosure, I work as the blender uh, for our, American, oh, really? for our American whiskeys. Um, so I kind of, I'm the director of barrel projects for high and wicked whiskeys. And so I'm constantly awesome. in the world of, you know, long aged American whiskey. Um, and so there we did <laughs> from my yeah. own perspective. Yes. I would love to send barrels down yeah. there and see what it does and just like, experiment but you know it, this is where it's like what is the philosophy of the brand right yeah. and the philosophy here is terroir and so if it's about terroir you know we don't necessarily want to cover that up with oak so it's always about that mm -hmm. balance um similarly with el bello we also don't have an añejo or an extra añejo because again the philosophy of el bello was cocktails and yeah, nice. you know it's don't get me wrong i i love a great like añejo tequila cocktail but more often than not that's not what I'm going to be reaching for as a bartender. So yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It can be mm -hmm. done, but it's much harder. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So it's kind of like, yeah, no. what, what is the identity of the brand and how do we, how do we preserve that? So. Yeah. Now to, to add to that question, uh, I know you guys are now at a 46%. Um, so will you guys come out with a still strength? And if you do, what percentage would that be? So if we do a still strength again, that would probably be two to three years. Um, and it would be at uh, just as a, a special release. And so, you know, we talked about, do we ever, do we want to integrate, you know, like the, the earthen pit that they have at, oh, cool. at, at Costco mm, um, yeah. but realistically we, 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 we kind of want to leave that for Siembra Valles Ancestral, right? Because like that is, that's a very well-established and beautifully done thing. And we don't want to like step, <laughs> step on their toes at all. <laughs> um, you know, but it's like, at some point we do envision a third, a third expression coming out. Um, okay. Whatever it's going to be is likely going to be a limited release. And if it was a still strength, then it would be a 55. So beautiful. That's, that's pretty cool. That's cool thing about yeah. Cascaween is it, it's like a small distillery, but they have so many different, you know, things they could do with uh, the fermentation and mm -hmm. even the way they, they crush, you know, they have that ancestral, they have the Tajona and then they have the roller mill, which is, it, it, it's pretty amazing how a small distillery can bring such, you know, variants into all the different brands that are produced there. Right. And do them all so well. I think that's what's, you know, the each, each, <laughs> each component is so unique, but also still so well done. 
Absolutely. Yes. Now, I agree. tell us a little bit about the reception you guys received. Um, I am cracking. I said earlier I didn't want to crack it up. I just cracked open the, <laughs> the, the Palo Verde because uh, I just had to. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about that reception uh, because I, I remember. So actually, uh, we were down there late January. I think it might have <laughs> been. I think it was January 30th uh-huh. was the date. It was a Monday. Mm-hmm. And we were there and we saw, I remember I saw the labels and I was like, whoa, these, this has to be new. Yeah. And we, we asked and they said, we oh, asked, we can't yeah. talk about it yet. <laughs> and uh, I think I'm pretty sure. And I think you and I talked about it as we were walking out, you were walking in. Yep. So I remember uh, seeing it and then it popped up and it was pretty, uh, it just had, it. you know, people loved it. So tell us a little bit about that reception when you guys came out. <laughs> so, um, Yeah really like we we knew it was going to be great right we knew we knew that we knew that no matter what the tequila in the bottle was going to be exceptional right because again cascaline's reputation is insane um early on you know it was really important to us and i've i've been a huge fan of tequila matchmaker for for some years now um you know and in fact like with el bello like in the very earliest of days before the confirmed additive free program was launched you know it, it actually states in our contract uh, for El Velo that, you know, no additives because I was very much following what Grover and Scarlet were putting out there. And so when we, you know, opted to develop Lagrimas, it, it was just as important that obviously it was also additive free. And so in the early days, I was kind of like, Hey, uh, Chava, I need your help. I want to make sure that we get, you know, a bottle each of the Plata and the Reposado for Palo Verde over to Grover and Scarlet, like, you know, as a thank you, but also like, you know, I'd love to get their feedback on it, you know, while we're kind of waiting to go live. Um, and the initial panel results from it, you know, were just like, I remember Grover reached out to me and he was just like, man, Lagrimas is fantastic. And then a buddy sent me a photo of Grover behind the bar at Casa Lotecito with the bottle in hand and like giving a thumbs up, you know, and it's kind of like, okay, good. Like we've got, we've got, we've got a winner. Um, and then Grover reached out to ask for like the logos and everything. He's like, I'm going to put it on the app if that's okay. And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know? And so it goes up and then the panel rankings come out and, you know, I, I immediately lost my, you know, lost it because I was like, <laughs> holy crap. These are like this, this is the, the Plata was rated higher than, you know, a number of other fantastic brands. And the Reposado at that point was the yeah, highest rated repo on the app. Right. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like this is insane. Now, of course, over time, more panel rankings have come in as more panelists have had it. Um, and, and the, the score has attenuated down slightly. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like, you know, we got that score and we got super excited. And we produced a little piece of social media that just showed, you know, it's like, here's where we were ranked and Grover, you know, on his own without any requests from anyone posted about it being a new brand coming out. And honestly, I think those things are what, just set it on fire, right? It's the timing of here's a high proof Rancho Unico product coming from Cascoine, and it just got this, you know, from the panel of Tequila Matchmaker. Like, holy crap, we have to go get it. Um, so yeah, the demand the demand was insane. I mean, we sold out multiple states within 24 hours. Um, Beautiful and completely, completely unanticipated to be that high. We again, we knew it was going to be great, but had no idea it was going to have that, that type of reception. Now, and then you guys are in how many states right now? I, I imagine you guys have pretty solid distribution as well. 
so we we as Altamar, um, we are in I think I think we're now in like 43 states. Yeah. Um, with some of our brands with Lagaremas, we're only in 15 states. Um, and that was intentional because mm-hmm. it was kind of like, hey, we don't know how this is gonna go, early mm-hmm. days of the brand. Like, you know, let's go to the states that we know we've got great relationships with them, or you know, there's we know there's significant demand, or we've got people that live there. I mean, that that's also a big impact. So oh. You know, we launched it there and <laughs> like into the launch, we immediately were just like, never mind, freeze, freeze all new states. We can't we can't bring can't on any up. new states yet. Like, <laughs> sorry, Texas. Like, I know there's a bunch of folks. Oh, in Texas. really? You're not yeah. in Texas? Oh, no. We're not, oh, <laughs> we not in Texas. Oh, um, and it's a huge it's a. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've had more requests from from folks in Texas uh, reaching no out way. asking about it. So uh, the goal <laughs> is to hopefully get to Texas here pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, either way. <laughs> Not not on that first ranch. So yeah. it's all right. I gotta keep our Texas friends consuming from California. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Online <laughs> yeah. retailers. Well, and I mean keep supplying us. Right. Yeah. So like, you know, I'm all like I also was fortunate enough to get to meet uh you know Roman and the guys over at Old Town. Um and uh, you know, mm. like that's like it's one of like tequila uh meccas in the United States, right? So it's like going into Old Town Tequila was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm in here. And I had like a tiny bottle of lagrimas to go in and taste them on uh, because that's all I had with me at the time. It was like one of those little 100 mLs. Um, and they were like, whoa, this is fantastic. Dude, can we do a pre-sell and a launch? <laughs> and I mean, that also made a huge impact, right? Because here's Old Town sending out an email to, you know, what is already, you know, a, a, a really strong group of agave enthusiasts. And it's kind of like, hey, we're getting this new thing. We dig it. We're only getting this much. If you guys want it, let's do it. And, you know, they, they sold out, they sold out within, it was less than 24 hours um, on their initial, wow. on their initial release. So it was also just like, holy crap. Um, that's great. But here we are. So that's awesome. Now um, I do have one question. Um, yeah. Do you, can you say, huh? Like, what was the batch? Like, was it a pretty small batch? Was it? So the first Rancho, the goal the target was we, you know, cause it's like, again, we have to buy materials. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and since the labels and everything change each time, it's like, okay, we've got to buy new materials each time. Um, yeah. So it was kind of, the target was around a thousand six pack cases of Plata and 500 six pack cases of Reposado. The reality ended up being closer to 900 six pack cases of the Plata and about 430 of the Reposado. Um, so, so you know, still pretty solid amount. Is that yeah. close to over yeah. ten thousand? Yeah, right. Probably over ten thousand bottles together. I think. Uh, no, it's it's. Uh, I mean, under? so six pack cases. So if we're at like nine, what, what did I say? Like nine hundred. Let's say nine hundred plus for thirty times six. We're looking at thirty nine hundred bottles. Oh wow! Or, sorry, 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 Damn. sorry. Seventy nine hundred bottles. Okay. So still like eight thousand okay. bottles out there, but you know, it's still like, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a smaller run, you know, when you consider that there are brands that are doing 50 and a hundred thousand and some over a million, uh, cases a year. So no, yeah. And that, that, that would make sense. Cause it's, uh, you know, you're just using a single, uh, uh, Rancho Unico. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, it also, <laughs> I imagine it depends on the size of the Rancho itself. Completely. Now the irony was, you know, when we were talking with Chava, it was kind of like, yeah, so, you know, we, we ended up using about a third of the ranch, 
uh, for the first release. And it's like, wait, wait, there was more. Wow. We could we could have had more. You know, wow. and it's like, but again, the intention was like we're going to take only the most ripe from there um, and let it be Rancho Unico. So that was that was kind of how how that worked. Now I will let you know the third Rancho, um, well, the second Rancho El Chiqueño is almost the exact same size as Palo Verde. So. Now, one question I do have to that that you mentioned um, between our, a group of te- uh, tequila fans that we have uh-huh. like on Instagram. One thing is, OK, so when they pull out a third of the rancho, right, like you just mm-hmm. mentioned, um, does a second, the two other thirds just stay there for a bit or does that um, go to a different project? Is that do you know anything about that? I mean, that's that's going to be entirely dependent upon the Agavero, right? Mm-hmm. So they may have sold it. Yeah. immediately like the whole ranch may have been fully okay. ripe and ready to go it may have gone into other projects um you know so whether whether it was sold to cascawin um or if it was sold to someone else is is you know that's where it's it's we're not we don't actually know gotcha. um, you know so for example with the, the rancho in tulchitlan um like we're t- we took the entire ranch for that one mm-hmm. um so like that one i know is was is going to be entirely ours but you know yeah there's a chance that palo verde found its way into you know, some other products being distilled either at Cuscoin or elsewhere. So. Got it. That, that makes well, sense. I'm, assu- I'm assuming you, you guys only took a third because a third is what qualified uh, for your, your, uh, your basis. <laughs> That's my assumption as well. Again, yeah. this is where, this is where there is full trust uh, uh. with, with Chava <laughs> senior. Cause it's just, you know, that's where it's like, look, he, he understands it's we're looking for the very best agave. And so I think he's really the one that sets the, the standards and the boundaries mm-hmm. on, yeah, the agave that's being selected. So for whatever project he's searching for at that particular moment. Exactly. And which is also why it's like, look, if we're going to entrust anybody with this, it's going to be you. And, you know, in, to, and again, like full transparency, uh, the Rosales family does also co-own the brand. So it's not just, you know, it's not a full contract brand. It is also a family brand in that they have ownership in it as well. So it's, you know, oh, gotcha. best intentions on both sides for yeah. sure. Yeah, precisely. So now, right now I'm, I just had the Palo Verde. It's mm-hmm. amazing. It's amazing. But man, all I know is that El Chiqueño is going to be delicious when yep. people get their hands on them. It's yes. so good. Really, really good. If like Palo Verde blew everyone's mind and it, people were excited for it. El Chiqueño is going to be right up there, in my opinion. I got to say, man, the Reposados are also substantially different. Like that's, <laughs> you know, because it's that's that's the other test because it's like, oh, man, like we're going to start adding oak into the equation. Like how different is this thing going to be once it rests in a barrel for three months um, and tasting El Chiqueño Reposado versus the Palo Verde Reposado? Like they are yeah. they're They're also completely different beasts. So you guys already have the El Chiqueño Reposado. You've already yes. sampled it and it's it's yep. pretty much ready. Beautiful. To be launched in the future. Yep. So when we bottle next week, the goal is actually to bottle both. And oh, so, wow. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. Reposado, it's actually the vintage date um, on the label is still going to say 2022, right? So Palo Verde was 2022. El Chiqueño is also 2022 because that's the date of harvest, mm-hmm. right? The difference, though, is that we harvested the agave for El Chiqueño in late December. Um, and okay. then, you know, once okay. distilled, um, which it was distilled in February, if I recall, um, it was or January, February, there, thereabouts. Um, you know, we were then sitting in tank while we were waiting to go into barrel. And then we finally went into barrel, uh, and for Reposado. And so we're bottling both at the same time. So we're waiting 
essentially for the Repsado to finish aging um, until we bottle everything together. Well, you guys release both of them at the same time? Yes. And right. will the bot, uh, will the aging process be the same as the first batch? Or yes. is it going to be based on what well, you said? Yeah, but I was wondering if it would be it taste uh, different. It, it's going to be the same same one. No, taste-wise, it is going to be substantially different. The age process is identical, right? So it's three months in these extremely worn ex-bourbon barrels. Um, but this is where it's like Palo Verde versus El Chicano. They taste completely different, even even once they've sat aged. So that's exciting. That's exciting. I can't wait because <laughs> right now I was looking at the tequila matchmaker and the 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 repo. I think is rated higher than the just by the point mm-hmm. than the plata. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah. uh, they're so rated good. At ninety, I believe. Yeah, they're really good, man. They're, they're really enjoyable. Um, I think what you guys are doing is amazing. I think it's clearly showing uh, what yes. you're trying to, you know, to get done with the Rancho Unico. Mm-hmm. And I'm just excited for everything else you guys have coming. <laughs> so this year you have that third estate. Oh, Rancho Unico. Uh-huh. Oh, look at that. I still use the estate. I know. I mean, even though I've, I've, I've tried to be so careful with it. <laughs> uh, so you got the third one that's in the process. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be two per year kind of the plan? Or is it just kind of like whatever's presenting itself based on the demand? The latter, whatever's presenting itself and then the demand. I mean, honestly, it's going to be more based upon what agaves are ready when they're ready. Uh, availability. Right. And then it's like, so if we, if we get one that's going to produce, I always joked like on the early days when we were starting it up, it's like, yeah. So I guess, you know, if we, if we harvest a field and it produces 200 cases, cool. If we harvest a field and it produces 20,000 cases, you know, also cool. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't see that happening. Um, on the latter end of the spectrum, but yeah. yeah, it's about, you know, it's all about trusting Chava and the family that it's, you know, they are, they know, they know the intentions of the brand. They know what we want to do with it. And I, I got to say, Chava put me through my paces. Uh, you know, it, it, he really did want to make sure he was just like, you know, what are your opinions on celebrity tequila on additives in tequila? How are you going to market this tequila? Um, you know, that was all very important to him and even determining if we were going to work on a project or not. That was part of the discussion at dinner in Guadalajara. Um, so he's kind of vetting us um, as far as our background, and, you know. Yeah, I remember you told me about that dinner and it was uh, it was kind of like cool to hear about it. it was yeah, because cool. it was like it started out yeah. super friendly and I was like, yeah. man, I love I love your tequila. And then all of a sudden it just became serious. And like Chava's like, you know, it, I know you guys have met him, but it's like if you haven't yeah. met him, he's like this super outgoing, gregarious, like you want to hang out and have a drink with the guy. Like he's just yes. super friendly and like his smile like genuinely lights up the whole room. Um, and so for him to like, all of a sudden, like, like a flipping of, of a switch and he's just like, okay, we need to talk about tequila. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, what just happened? <laughs> man? Back like, a little bit. I know it's like, okay, <laughs> like, I, I hope I'm prepared for this. Um, you know, and at the end of it, he was like, okay, well, let's, uh, let's make some tequila together. So now, yeah, I remember, uh, you told me about that and I've told everyone, I'm like, oh, it's so funny. Cause he says that, you know, he was all friendly and they just switched, uh, you know, like, like a light switch just switched mm-hmm. to a business. So it's that's kind of cool to hear after meeting him. You're like, he's super friendly and whatnot. And yep. also, uh, spoiler alert to everyone that listens, we have a scheduled interview with Chava in the Woo-hoo. next couple of weeks. So that's there pretty exciting. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, we're excited. Yeah, super we're excited. excited. We got super excited when we got that uh, <laughs> calendly, calendly in, invitation or uh, email that said Chava, you know, set up a time. So that was pretty cool. Awesome. He accepted our invitation. Yeah. <laughs> But that's awesome, man. That's great to hear. You want to tell us a little bit about where um, 
you guys are online because I imagine that's the easiest way to find Lagrimas in case the other states that might be listening can yep. have it, you know, a local so, retailer. Yeah. So fortunately, I mean, like we've had a few decent, uh, you know, e-retailers pick stuff up. You can always visit us at altamarbrands.com, um, A-L-T-A-M-A-R-B-R-A-N-D-S.com. Um, and from there, we've got links out to a couple of the our, our more well-known uh, online retailers, one of which is Curiata. Um, and Curiata actually still has stock on the Palo Verde. So uh, they've run, they burned through all the Reposada, but they've still got a little bit of the, the Plata left. Um, but yeah, right. those, those guys have been great as far as, you know, getting the stuff in, getting it set up and making it available pretty fast. So, you know, it's a pretty good one. And then obviously Old Town Tequila, um, they've been awesome. So. Although I think they're out of stock at the moment. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Instagram for you guys, for yourself, for uh, Altamar Brands. Yep. So for me, I'm Brandon.Altamar. Um, you can also find us at Altamar Brands um, and all one word. And then Lagrimas Tequila um, as far as the brand the brand uh, Instagram handle. So and we're, we kind of keep we're going to keep the, the Lagrimas page kind of static. Uh, it's not going to have a bunch of new content. We share stories and stuff all the time, but we're not really publishing new things until the next Rancho will release. So that way it's kind of like, okay. we'll put stuff out as the new ranch comes out, but otherwise you can follow me or follow all And we're posting all the time about, you know, what's coming or what we're doing. And I post geeky, geeky reels all the time. So <laughs> that's Perfect. awesome, man. I like it. I like it. Cause um, everyone, I know it, I haven't heard a single bad thing about Lagrimas. It's everyone has loved it. We loved it. I know yep. Eric enjoyed the the El Chiqueño. Um, El Chiqueño now yep. that the Palo Verde is open, Eric, you got to come over and have it too. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I get, out, hey, I get off that floor. Yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> cool. All right, Brandon. Well, it was great talking to you. Uh, awesome. I can't wait to see what else uh, you guys got coming out, the other ranchos, and you know, just great. Hope to have a drink with you one day. Awesome. Yeah, Fox. Yes. Pleasure. Eric, thank you guys for having me. And yeah, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. All right. Have a good one. All right,